Dear Jason at 10 years old, I want to give you a heads up about what's to come. There's a lot of challenges that are in the future that you're going to have to deal with. And I want to tell you that things will work out. Things are going to work out to your best. Things will work out with your family. Things will get better. But in the moment, it will be difficult and hard. But you're going to grow into the best person possible. Remember to laugh. Remember to smile. And also remember that there's people that love you. And if you find an opportunity to, to connect and reach out to people, they will come and help you through your darkest, your hardest times, and even in your happiest times. Keep smiling, Jason. Things will get better, and you will always get through this. I love that. True. One day I was talking to a friend and saying something like, oh, sometimes I spread myself a little thin on on friends, connecting with people, and maybe I should just focus on less people. And she kind of said to me, that's not who you are. You'll never regret connecting with people and you'll never regret being nice to people or including people in your life. I'm so excited for Jason's interview today. It's kind of crazy how I ended up being introduced to Jason. I had a friend from college who I hadn't talked to in about 10 years reach out to me and tell me about Jason and that he would be awesome for the podcast. So we go through the whole interview and he's awesome and great. And then come to find out this Wyatt friend that he talks about in the interview is one of my neighbors. So I text Jason and come to find out his brother and sister-in-law are in our neighborhood as well. And so we have lots of mutual friends and I guess we were just destined to learn Jason's story. I thought that was crazy how we were connected. Jason Clausen is an amazing guy. He grew up in Orem, Utah. His family growing up had seven kids, five girls, two boys. He graduated with a bachelor's degree from Utah Valley University. He got his master's degree as a therapist and has been doing therapy for the last 15 years. He is an incredible guy and has such a heartbreaking story. Jason's wife, Valerie, got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And nine months after her diagnosis, she passed away being racked with grief and not knowing what to do and how to survive and pick up the pieces. He ended up quitting his job and ended up starting this organization calling Giving Sunshine. Jason now is helping tons of people who have lost loved ones and he shares his story about losing his wife and also about his new wife, Kirsten. He has an incredible story, and one thing I just love about him is that he used this experience to be able to not only better himself, but to be a help to so many other people, and I hope you enjoy his interview and learn from Jason. Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? 
This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. So Jason, tell us a little bit about your family. Okay, so my, my family right now, I have two boys. I have Boston and Cooper. Boston's 15 and Cooper's nine. Just the two boys. And then have another child named Hewlett. But Hewlett, there were some complications when he was in pregnancy with my wife. And uh, we had to have him early and he didn't make it. But that's our small, immediate family with my kids. That's, that's who I love and care about. And that's my, that's my team (laughs) right now. I grew up with a a family of seven kids. So that created a lot of um, opportunities to grow, a lot of opportunities to, to argue and fight. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Right. We have six kids in my family and big families. I feel like you do, you learn a lot. My childhood growing up is gave me a lot of opportunities to grow, to learn, to fight for what you have, to be faithful in when things are hard and challenging, asking for help from people in your circle. So I think growing up, I had a lot of opportunities in a bigger family to really develop some qualities and skills that later on in my life that I've had to draw upon to to help me get through challenging and overwhelming and and trials that came our way. So I think growing up, I think it was preparing me for what was to come or what was I was going to face later on in my life. Yeah, it made you strong and resilient. Yeah, I had to. (laughs) (laughs) It's survival of the fittest in those families. And you got to eat fast. You got to... You got to do stuff or else you, you'll get left behind, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Quite literally, what we had six kids in our family, and one time my parents actually left my sister at a, a basketball game. They thought one parent thought they were with the other, and you know, whereas if you have two kids, you or we have three kids, it's not very likely that you're gonna leave one, right? Yep, yep, exactly. Well, can you paint a picture for us what your life what your life was like before your wife was diagnosed with cancer? And tell us a little bit about Valerie. Yeah, that's that's a great. I like starting there. Before Valerie was diagnosed, we felt like life was it had been for a while. My kids were thriving in sports and doing well in school. I was a, a director of a recovery program. I was a clinical director and and doing really good work helping people. We were building our dream house, a really beautiful house that we looked forward to moving into. And then Valerie was, she struggled with weight for a while. She finally found some things that were working and she, at this point, she had lost a hundred pounds. Wow, that's amazing. And she was feeling so good about herself. The light was coming back on and we felt like this was what we felt life was supposed to be like when we anticipate our lives or when all of us think about our lives we we have these things that our vision of what life would be like and um, we're like okay we're here we have arrived we we're, we're doing what we're supposed to we're helping people in the community we're helping people in our in our church group 
and we felt like we were making a difference in the world. We felt like, okay, if life can be like this, then, then we'll be okay. So that was the, the picture that we were living. And uh, we felt like we were going in a, the, the best direction possible. And, and then... <laughs> and then it seems like if, you, if life seems too comfortable, things change, right? Well, I, I think that is, if people don't know that, that's just kind of how life goes is if we're getting comfortable, if we're, things are going well, there's probably something that's going to come up that's going to give us an opportunity to, to grow, to challenge us, or to improve our lives. So at the time, Valerie came to me and she says, hey, Jason, I have this lump in my stomach and I don't know what it is. So we... we we felt, I felt it. It was just a, a mass in her stomach. And I said, well, let's just hold off a week. Let's not jump to conclusions. And then we'll, we'll revisit in a week. So a week went by. We went back and we felt the mass. And it had grown. And that was concern for me and my wife. And then we're like, what is it? What's happening? What do we do? And we felt like things weren't going to change in our situation because our life was going so good. Um, but we were concerned and we needed to figure this out so that we could move on with the way that our life was supposed to be. <laughs> it's interesting how we kind of resist the change and when things are going well, your brain has a really hard time wrapping around the fact that something drastic could happen and change your, your brain's kind of like, no, it's fine. We'll be okay. I mean, you, that's me anyways. I guess other people are worst case scenarios. When, when situations come up, you don't necessarily want to believe them. Uh, you just want to say, okay, this is, this will only last for like a couple days and then we'll be back to our normal. We took it to a couple of doctors to figure out what was going on. And the first initial doctor did some tests and evaluation and, and, uh, felt Valerie's stomach and he looked at her and says, and we, we kind of chuckled because we had struggled with um, infertility. Uh, so it would have been a miracle if that would happen. So, but he says, I really don't know. So we went to another doctor, we did some blood works and scans and nothing was coming up to the surface about what was going on. So we were, we were concerned cause we didn't know. So I remember Heading up. You kind of think with cancer that you come in, do a blood test that you'd find out. Right yeah. Away. Also, something that was going against us is we didn't have any family history or there weren't any warning signs. We just had this large mass in our stomach and, and we didn't know. So we did some blood work and nothing stood out. And uh, all we knew is there was a large mass in her stomach and uh, we, we couldn't figure it out. So we went to a couple of doctors and and then we ended up actually going up to St. Mark's Hospital after seeing a couple doctors and doing exploratory surgery. They were going to do surgery to find out what this large mass was. So we're up in St. Mark's Hospital. We are sitting in the waiting room with, my, with Valerie's parents, with my sister and Valerie's best friend. And we're just on pins and needles about what's happening. So... Surgery happened, and then the doctor walks into our room where we're waiting, and she looks at me, and she says, Jason, 
I'm so sorry. Uh, I still get emotional talking about this. She says, your wife has stage four colon cancer. She said, I, I, I opened up her stomach and, and we were doing a partial hysterectomy and I saw a large mass on her colon and I just stopped right there. So in, a, in, in that moment when you get, you're told that news, your whole world stops and you begin, your brain begins to race and begin to think about what, what do I do? What are, what about my kids? How I'm going to tell my kids, how we're going to pay for it. How are we going to fight it? How long does she have? And it's just, your brain begins to just race and you start to think about like, Oh no, what about this life I was supposed to live now in a moment's instance, when that doctor said that our life has changed and now we got to figure out how do we pick up the pieces and how do we live, live life again? It was, it was life altering news um, in that moment. Yeah, I can't imagine what was going through your mind when when the doctor came back and said that. She said, "I will. I'll come back to your room, and I'm gonna. When Valerie wakes up, I'm gonna tell her." So, <laughs> I I immediately just I just sobbed because I just didn't know what to do. It was just like thinking of my life was going well with my family, and now I'm in a moment's instance I'm given this trial. So. And how old was your wife at this time? She was 38. Because nobody really expects in their 30s, to me, I'm always like, oh, that happens to people when you're older. Yeah. But yep. you don't really expect, are you supposed to be screened for colon cancer once you're 50? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's later in life. And that's, that's even, you get that and you're like, this is not supposed to happen to young young moms that still have life to live. This is supposed to happen to people that have lived a long life. Yeah. So, so again, that was, it was confusing. It was just like, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) So the doctor comes in to the recovery room and tells Valerie's waking up and then said, tells Valerie what the diagnosis is. And we sat there and cried for a little bit about what our, altered plan is is and then the doctor says okay um i'll send the nurse in to take care of you and the doctor started heading down the the hallway and and i said i i need some answers so i tracked the doctor down the hallway and i said doctor like how are we gonna how long does she have how just started pepping her with all these questions like what kind of treatment what are our options what is this 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 and this and the doctor stopped me and she said, Jason, you'll get through this. It'll be hard. It'll get through this. And then she, she said a phrase that I'll never forget and has, has forever changed me because she said, Jason, cancer has a way of enhancing your life. At the moment when I heard that, I, I said, I don't want my life to be enhanced. I want my life to go back to the way it was supposed to be and the way it was living. Yeah. Like everything was great before cancer. We don't need an enhancement. We're I, doing great. Exactly. I don't want it to be enhanced. And I, I, I was angry at the doctor and then later on angry at God and saying, how, how could this happen? We were doing so well and helping so many people. Why, why do you need to change our situation? Um, 
because of all the goodness that we were doing, it just didn't seem fair. It really seemed unfair. So <laughs> it's so Valerie was given two to three years life expectancy, depending on how treatment went. And again, we we're young and we're and uh, resilient. We're saying we're going to fight this. We're going to beat this. We did treatment up at Huntsman, um, and we we did everything the doctors told us. And we'd go do it, and then we'd come back and do a scan, and nothing changes. So we had to build ourselves up again. We'd do we'd do our treatment, we'd do what we were supposed to do, and then again we'd come back and nothing had changed. And this was, this is, was our pattern of treatment. Like nothing we did, nothing got better. So it, it was, which isn't that pretty rare usually, or is that common for colon cancer? I'm not super familiar. Well, I mean, stage four is hard because stage four means it's in uh, several organs in your body. So it's higher to fight all those. So I don't know if it's stage four, but Mostly, I, a lot of the experiences I heard, you, you hear a little bit of improvement, but we didn't get any improvement at all. So it was just like, really? Like, can you, can you help us out, God? <laughs> like, we're supposed to give us something to fight for. So after, after fighting it for nine months, we said we were at the funeral of my wife saying goodbye after nine months of fighting and trying to do the best we can. So <laughs> it's it, the, the difficult part is you're, you're at the funeral and everybody rallies around you and everybody's like supportive and it, as hard as it was, people were there. But I think the, the hardest part is when the funeral got over and your support and people just disappeared. And then you're left with the reality of, I got to pick up the pieces and I got to, fulfill both roles as a mom and a dad i coined this yeah and people people will bring you dinner but only for so long you have at some point figured out right you can't it's one of the hardest things to go through because you're trying to grieve and then you got kids you got to take care of and then well yeah and you don't have you can't just lay in bed all day and just Stay there. Your kids, you have to show up for them. They need you to take them probably to all their activities and feed them and yep. do all the things. And, and then you also still have to provide for your family. It's not like somebody yep. coming in and saying, oh, here, I'll just yeah. do all this money so you can breathe. It would be, it would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but complicated even more, like my work calls me and goes, I, we need you back, like, we, we've been struggling without having to hear. So nine days after the funeral, I, I went back to work. And I think, I think a thing that complicates even worse is, so I'm trained as a mental health therapist. So I'm a therapist. So I'm going through one of the hardest challenges of my life. And then I'm also helping people with their hardest time of their life. So it's just... If it were me, they'd like start talking and I'd be crying and be like, you should hear what happened to me. Yep, yep. You're like, your problems are not that bad. At least your spouse is with you, right? You're like, well, I, I'm with teenagers and they're complaining about like okay. really superficial things. And uh, there's several times I said, do you want something to complain about? <laughs> like your, your life's not that bad. Let me tell you. So 
You're like, it could be much worse. I know I could, you probably did a lot better job than, than I would have in, in that situation. I have a quick question before we kind of talk about the, like what happened after your wife passed away, but yeah. do you have any advice on colon cancer prevention and screening? I know that colon cancer is a little bit different than some of the other types of cancer. After what you guys have been through, what, what's your advice for everyday person? For us, it was, I don't know how we could have prevented it because she was so young, but I would just um, do screenings as often as, and as early as you can. And insurance is getting smarter. They're, they're doing them earlier. So as soon as you can get it, get it. And then also take a look at your family history to see if there's any cancer in your family and just be more proactive rather than just kind of sitting back and saying, this is not going to happen to me. I'm not, I'm not old enough to have cancer. You just need to be proactive and you need to just do your, your check-ins with your doctor and make sure that there's things, warning signs we can look for uh, before it gets too bad and too overwhelming. That's good advice. I like what you said here. It's never too young to have cancer, right? And and it's funny for me, as I get older, my definition of old just keeps changing more and more. (laughs) So, So your wife passes away, everything's just crazy. You're having to go back to work seven days after. I can't believe that they had to come back to work that soon after. And it's just not working for you. Life is just not (laughs) working. And how did your boys deal with it? We didn't, we, we dealt with it in different ways. One boy went, he just kept it quiet, kept it inside. Um, that was my oldest. And then the youngest was just acting out and yelling and it just wasn't him. And I remember this, a moment in time that where I, I'd come home and I remember my boss and looked at me and he just says, dad, you just come home mad. You're just you just come home mad every day. <laughs> so it was just like, I just, we just felt like we weren't winning, like nothing we could do. We were just kind of surviving. And and that was a hard moment. We felt like we were, I, I felt like I was trying the best I can. I'm taking care of my boys. I'm trying my grief. I'm helping people at work. <laughs> <laughs> You're like my emotional capacity is spent. Yeah, and anybody that would ask uh, any more out of me, I just couldn't do. Like they'd ask me the simplest thing, and I just couldn't do it. I'd just be like, I can't. I just can't do it. Even to text people back, I just might. I couldn't because I was so tapped out. And I struggled for about nine months like this, and then finally. I, I was at work and I, I felt like I just, I was so worn out and just emotionally depleted. And I just said, I need to reach out and I need to, and I need to tell my family and friends um, how I'm feeling. So I sent out a text, 14 people in my circle of influence, people in my church group, people in my neighborhood, friends and family. And I just said, I need you at my house. I need some help. So seven o'clock, everybody that I text showed up to my house and I held my own intervention (laughs) to let them know how I was feeling and what I was struggling with. And it was 
it was pretty amazing. I call this my healing team because I gave people permission to help me. And before, when you, when something happens, people, they get in like a support vacuum where they want to help you, but they end up doing nothing and just make it worse than it actually is. And in this meeting, I gave people permission to reach out, people to come into my life, people to call me so that they could help me through the process and kind of take away the heaviness that I was feeling on a regular basis. So in this meeting, I, I, we made a team captain <laughs> and I came up with a code word. Whenever it get really bad, I could text my code word to my team captain and my team captain would take it from there and they would email everybody that's in my circle of influence in that team and everybody had an assignment and they would just jump into action and take over when things were really stressful. So, so everyone didn't have an assignment, oh, things are bad, so somebody's like in charge of dinner, somebody's in charge of taking the kids. Is that kind of those kind of things? Yep. Take, okay. yep. I love this. This is a great idea. I think everyone needs to implement a healing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like my parents were doing my laundry. Someone was doing yard work. Someone would come clean the house. Someone would text me uplifting messages. A friend would take me to lunch. And it's just like, okay, I can do this because as bad as it can get, all I have to do is text one word and everybody comes in and, and helps me until I'm strong enough to do some of these things on my own. And it felt like, okay, I can do this. I felt like I can move on and I felt like I can take this on. Well, and then to the people feel like they have permission because you asked for help. But I mean, I know a lot of times when you have somebody, you want to help them, but then there are these boundaries too. You don't want to be that annoying person who just shows up if they don't want somebody there. And I don't know, sometimes it's a little tricky on the outside, but I love, I love this. Yeah. So it's, we, we talked about what our options were, what I could do and, what I did is I ended up um, uh, stepping away from my job and taking the summer off. <laughs> Which is probably a great idea because it, I, I can't imagine having that weight, all those burdens of other these teenagers, all this hard stuff that they're dealing with on top of what you were dealing with. I felt like me and my boys were operating on like sad and lonely memories. All we were thinking about is losing my wife, dealing with cancer and that wasn't giving us happiness and that wasn't sustaining. So her last nine months, they, it wasn't like a high energy. Let's do all the things we want to do. Was it? Was She was pretty sick. Wasn't she? Yeah, she was sick. And it was just like, she was tired. She wasn't available. She couldn't do anything. So <laughs> I just said, we need to recreate and, Re reestablish our family with happy memories. So, took the summer off, and I set the sat down at the kitchen table with my boys, and I said, "Okay, I am taking the summer off, guys, and we're making a bucket list, and that's what we're gonna do this summer." <laughs> so, we made a list of bucket list things to do that we wanted to do, so that we can connect and we can help, and that we can just bring some fun and happy memories and. The goal was not 
anything fancy, just really fun and enjoyable, but we had involved people into our lives. What I found is the opposite of grieving, the opposite of depression is connection. So we needed connection to be able to help us heal. We needed people in our life to help us feel happier and healthier. We went fishing, we went camping, we went on a, a plane ride, we went uh, planted some trees in my wife's honor. And then awesome. towards the end of the summer, on there was make a lemonade stand. And what we wanted to do is raise some money. And then when Valerie was going through treatment, our friends brought over a, a yellow bucket of uh, yellow stuff and they called it a sunshine bucket. And I remember it brought a lot of happiness and joy at that time. So what we wanted to do is raise money and we wanted to do it to other and like pay it forward. So we didn't have to, so we can help each other, help other people and not have to go through what we went through. So the, the, the cool thing about that lemonade stand is we raised $1,500. Wow. That's probably one of the most uh, profitable lemonade stands yeah. I've ever heard of. And we started to make these baskets and we started delivering them to people with cancer people that have lost their spouse, people that have lost loved ones. And we began to start to heal because we started to think about other people and go and deliver these in person. We could talk to them. We could share our stories. And it, it was a sense of healing uh, for me and my boys. And it was something we looked forward to rather than thinking about the death and the sadness we were helping people and cheering people up. I love that. And I love how you said the opposite of grief is healing and connection. And I think so much of the experiences that I've had in my life, things that have been hard and difficult. And then when you're able to connect with another person and kind of because of what you've been through, it kind of gives a little more meaning and it, it really is a healing experience to be able to share that and also kind of experience a closeness with someone because of that shared experience. Yep. It doesn't feel so heavy when you can share and someone can help you with your burden that you're carrying. Absolutely. I love that. And, and I love that you got your boys involved too, because with my kids, whenever we can do some sort of things to help other people, it really helps their mood. I think service in general just helps you see outside of your current situation. And we're not meant to experience life alone or go through our heartaches and hardships by ourselves. Yeah. I, I think one thing that we would, we would, uh, my boys, when we put together these these buckets is we look for yellow things. So when we go to the store, my boys would look for yellow things and it gave them a purpose. <laughs> so they would go to the store and all we started to see is yellow things. So it changed the way that we focus on life. We'd focus on yellow and things that could bring people happiness versus before when you're depressed and sad all your mind does is it focuses on the negative and even watching TV or 
seeing people, you, your mind will just kind of go on the negative. So this was a way of retraining our brain how to be happy and how to look for happier things. I like that. Um, so what would you say changed after you asked for help? I think for me, I felt like people were help. I felt like I was getting helped and I felt like the burden was being distributed it around and I wasn't carrying it all around myself. <laughs> Anyone who's had to be a single parent, my hat goes off to you because I, being a parent with a spouse is hard enough as it is, let alone having the burden, not only the physical burden of taking care of everybody, but also that mental load of you're the one that has to, you know, there's so many decisions and things that you make with your spouse that then you have to just kind of do that on your own, which I think would be really a hard transition. Yep. It's, you don't know how hard it is until you have to do it. <laughs> yeah. So what advice do you have for others wanting to help someone who's lost a loved one? How can someone be kind of on their team if the person, you know, you kind of said like, I need help, but how can people be that for somebody else? I think sticking with someone, regardless of where they're at, uh, an example, my biggest support, um, his name is Wyatt, and he he wanted to help me, and he kept sending me texts and texts and texts, and after the 10th text, <laughs> I finally said, thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for staying by my side. Uh, this means a lot. Keep sending me texts. So even... We talked about being so emotionally overwhelmed, um, even responding to a text or a phone call can be really overwhelming. So being able to be consistent and stick with these people, even though they're not responding, is so helpful. Because when that window of opportunity comes and you're there, then it, it means the world that you've sticking by their side. And I think for us is... We don't want to wait for them to ask for something. I remember I'd go to church and people would say, well, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And again, that puts the pressure on that person that's grieving. That is hard. That is really hard. You're like, yes, this would be nice, but you might feel awkward asking for the help in the moment. It's, it's hard to ask for help. I think what we need to do for those people is we need to see a need and go do it. Um, people need food. <laughs> people need to go to lunch. So you can say, hey, hey, I want to take you to lunch. Does Tuesday or Thursday work best for you? And just give them options to choose. Or, you know what? People need paper products. <laughs> Drop off some uh, paper towels, some <laughs> toilet paper, and just say, hey, I know you need these. And you just go deliver and you give it, you give yourself a purpose to go over there and check in and talk to them rather than waiting them to invite them into your life. Find a, find a purpose to go and connect and talk with them. I like that. Yeah, I think it's so easy for all of us to say, well, let me know if you need help. I'm happy to help whatever you need. What you said is a lot more effective finding a need or even I think I heard a story the other day if they bought somebody ice cream or something and went over to visit them and then they had this nice heart-to-heart -heart, the ice cream melted she finds out the lady's lactose intolerant but it's not about the ice cream it's about the coming and showing up and connecting 
with people when they need somebody to talk to. You got to have a, a reason to go over there and talk to them and connect with them. That's where the magic will happen. I love that. Okay, so you guys started collecting yellow things and then tell us uh, about how that transformed from just like making little things from your lemonade stand to your organization giving sunshine. Yeah, we we started handing these out and um, I posted on Facebook and um, people would reach out all the time say, hey, I have someone, let's deliver them. So I would have those people reach out to them and then we would just go with them and deliver them. It started to grow really fast and really rapidly. I remember there was a lady in Virginia that reached out to me and says, hey, I see your baskets. I want one and I'm in Virginia. How can we make that happen? And I said, I can't go out there. So I created a box and what we did is we'd fill it up and we started, we shipped it out to her and then that started to take off where other people in, in the States would ask for them. So we started to send them out across the United States. And this started to grow. <laughs> and uh, I mean, to date, we are in 46, uh, no, 45 states that we've delivered a box to. So that's pretty exciting. But um, my, my friend, Wyatt, who I mentioned before, my biggest support, he he kind of noticed what we were doing and he came to me and says, Jason, I love what you're doing. This is so inspiring. He says, I would love to team up and see if we can start to get more people boxes that need help. We've been spending some time to be able to put things together that will be meaningful and helpful. And I took my therapy background and I also took my experience and Wyatt being my support. And instead of just having yellow things in the box, we've created some, some therapy tools that will help people get through their grieving process. Rather than just, it's just fun and happy um, for a day, we got some tools that will help people get out of their grief and help them find their joy again. And, and that's what's been exciting to see is when we've told people about this or when we shared boxes, it's like, oh, this makes sense. This is a box to help you, not just to make you feel good and like a Band-Aid. It's to, to help you get through your grieving process and, and make you happy again. That's awesome. So what, what do the boxes look like? Can you give us examples of some of the things that are inside and how they help? Yeah, so we've written some children's books where you can have conversations with family and friends and kids. You as in you and Wyatt have written them? Or? Well, um, I say we, I include him, but he wrote them. He wrote them himself and his sister has illustrated them. Oh, cool. And, um, and those, are, those are books to be able to open up those conversations of loss and help people through that process. We have some books on cancer to be able to help people through that conversation because those can be hard conversations and nobody knows how to have them. <laughs> so you don't have practice, right? <laughs> yeah. So the book, the book is just a vehicle to help have those conversations. And then one of our coolest things in there is we have what we call conversational cards. And these are, uh, 
cards that have, so, so you, when someone goes through a hard time, you identify your people that are going to support you and you hand them these deck, deck of cards, these support cards. And on there, it walks you through and it has the questions that you text or talk to the person that's struggling. And these are questions that I use in my therapy. These are questions that Wyatt sent to me. And it's just, it just helps you know how to talk to that person and coach them through that difficult spot. Because people, again, when someone dies or passes away, you don't know what to say. No, <laughs> and, you never know what to say, right? It's always, there's nothing, it feels like there's nothing you could ever say to make it better or to... Yep, and, and, and the most common thing people will say is just like, sorry for your loss. And the reality of that statement is it, it puts pressure back on the person that has lost a person like, sorry for your loss. And it's like, it's not necessarily my loss. It's the world's loss. Like (laughs) the world has lost an amazing person rather than it's just me. So it just coaches people and helps people know how to help and talk to people as they go through a difficult time. So where they're not feeling lonely and they just feel all alone, you, you can be a vehicle to help them through that process. And that's what these cards do along with a journal with promptings to kind of write things out and get some of those emotions and feelings out. So a lot of cool, awesome stuff for people. And it just gives people an opportunity to invite people in to help. It allows you to express those emotions and just get you back to where you need to be. That's amazing. I love that you've been able to use this experience that you've gone through this. I mean, gut-wrenching, worst-case scenario for anyone to lose the love of their life and have to pick up all the pieces. And I love that you've been able to use this and be able to help so many people. And I think most people really want to help. Most people have really good intentions. But I think a lot of times we don't have the vocabulary. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to help. And so I love this. This is such a amazing thing so and do you do you remember what the doctor told me in the hospital do you remember that phrase (laughs) oh that cancer was it enriches your life cancer has a way of enhancing your life so enhancing yeah that's right so as i look back and see what i've been able to do with people and help and it's amazing how my life has truly and my boys have been truly enhanced because of embracing a hard situation, life, life-changing situation, and being able to kind of put it, put it in God's hands and ask for help and just, and, and just walk the path that leads you to the life that we were meant to live. <laughs> and it, it really has been enhanced and continues to be enhanced because of what we've done with the trial that has been given us. Yeah, do you think that your life is enhanced because you don't take life for granted as much as like when you see that life is fragile and that you can, that anyone can lose their life at any point in time? Do you think that kind of makes you be a little bit more thoughtful and intentional about the choices you make? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, Definitely, I talk to people differently. I look at people's situation differently. 
I embrace situations, like you said, more intentional, like the situations I have, I, I really savor them and I really, really uh, just sit there and pause and reflect on them and just really take in the experience I have at, at, in the moment, kind of a, it's a, it's a mindfulness technique just to embrace the moment. And it just, life is more meaningful and enhanced because I'm not so busy of just day to day and working and try to, try to, um, try to just do the basic stuff. I really, I've started to live the, the life that I've wanted to uh, because of what has happened to me. Life has a way of, we can get stuck in just the monotony of like every day. And we're just kind of in the survival mode of just let's get things done. But I think some of these major life events kind of have a way of waking us up, getting us out of our monotony of life and deciding like, okay, are we just going to let life happen to us? Or am I going to be proactive about the way I live my life and make sure that I'm living my life to the best of my ability and helping the people around me the best I can and choosing to put the things in my life that are going to make me happy. And, you know, I love you talking about that experience with your sons that, you know, you'd done nine months of work and it just not working. And then you said, okay, I'm going to quit my job and we're going to, we're really going to have some good memories and not that you have to quit your job in order to, to have that. But I think that it's, it's a good reminder for all of us to make sure that are you living the life that you want to live or are you just letting life happen to you? I like in that situation with my boys, I, yeah, not everybody gets to do that, but I felt I need to do that for, I get, I get emotional talking about this. I'm, my, 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 my boys needed me and um, I needed to make a hard decision in that moment to, to um, get my family back to where it needed to be. It was hard and it, it has been hard. <laughs> I don't want to paint a picture that life has been so easy and as you came up with the box and like all the trials went away right yeah it's i don't want to paint that picture because every day has challenges every day comes with difficulties but it's just being able to <laughs> focus on what's important focus on like putting god first and praying and say i need help i need strength to get through this and, and just taking one day at a time rather than taking it all in at once and then after a while, you look back and some of these challenges have gotten better because of probably the people you've met, the people that have come into your life, the experiences that you've been blessed with. Those seem to be like the, 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 the times that makes life good because you had those experiences. Even though your kid is still struggling in school, your kid's still angry, it's those small things that we have to to recognize when they're happening because that's that can make life so much better. Because up up until like I don't know about last year in January, I wasn't happy. I remember there was a time, despite helping everybody, and life was getting better. But I think it came with a cost because I remember January first, like 
looking in the mirror, <laughs> had my shirt, had my shirt off. And I was like, I just wasn't happy with me. I, I forgot about myself. I was too busy helping everybody else that I forgot about myself. And I remember looking in my, in the mirror and I remember crying and just saying, this isn't me. I'm not, I'm again, I'm not happy. So I made some, some choices in my life to be able to focus on me and getting back to where I needed to be and being happy. And last year was the year of being happy. And uh, again, I had to make some hard choices, some day-to-day choices to be able to bring happiness back into my life. And again, it was hard, but it was worth it. Towards the end of the year, <laughs> I ended up finding my wife, my wife now, we ended up finding each other because we were working on ourselves and working on being happier again. And what's crazy about my wife, Kirsten, is she had lost her husband to cancer. It was amazing how we have been brought together to be able to help support each other, help each other, um, help, help other people that are going through hard things together. And again, it, it, our life continues to be enhanced because of we're willing to, again, include God, embrace the hard things, <laughs> lean into the resistance, and grow from them. And those are the opportunities that we both have accepted. And, and now today, we get the opportunity of raising my two boys together, and life is, is, is enjoyable again. And we can enjoy sitting around the table and laughing and, and having fun again. We can go on trips and we can enjoy life again because of what we've had to go through and how we've embraced it. I love that. I, you have so many good nuggets of things to say. <laughs> I, I love all your things. I'm like, we could put, that could be a quote, that could be a quote, we can hang that on the wall, you know, I, you have so many amazing words of wisdom and I'm so glad that you were able to meet Kirsten and and how how has that process been like incorporating her into your lives and how have the boys navigated that has that been a hard transition for them or how's how's that been for your family it's been good my boys have needed a mother figure and it's been good to have Kirsten be a mom for my boys and it's been awesome. We've needed each other to help support each other through anniversaries, through things that come up through each other's spouse's death. And we're mature enough to be able to have those conversations together. We still include the other spouses in our lives and they're still part of our conversation because they are part of our life and they are part of our story. We don't shy away from that because we feel that's an important part of our life. So when, like I said, when an anniversary or Mother's Day or Father's Day comes up, we, we still honor that spouse and we still do things because that's a part of the process and growing together. Hard things are meshing lives together is really hard. <laughs> I'm not going to shy away from that and say that it's, it's hard to blend lives together because of, I mean, going through old stuff and old memories that's in storage or what was this, what was this, they, all, all the stuff you have in your house 
is has so many memories and emotions and trying to and trying to blend those together it's it's overwhelming and it's difficult and it's hard but it's nice to have a supportive spouse that just sits there and says are you okay how are you feeling today is this bringing up do you want to talk about it and together we can help each other navigate hard and emotional moments and I think that helps our relationship and I think that also helps seeing my boys see that um, sees what a healthy relationship can be and it's pretty awesome talking about having the maturity to be able to talk about the hard things because I think being jealous or all of these things that that could happen or being insecure but being able to love each other and to also still have a strong love for your previous spouses I think is I think that's really a gift that you guys have been able to give to each other and to your kids to be able to see that they can love their mom and love Valerie and love what she has taught them and been for them. And they can also love Kirsten too. And that it's not taking away from one or the other. And I think sometimes we have this like scarcity mentality that there's not enough love in the, (laughs) it's for one or one person or the other. But I think being able to show that our hearts really are capable of loving and and having room for more people in your life and I'm I'm glad that they're able to have that mother figure to be able to help them and nurture them I just a little a quick little story we have I have two boys and then we have this baby girl she's so sweet and I feel like there's just something special about little girls there's something special about little boys too but they're just they're kind of these like wild little animals sometimes and you know my son who's four was crying the other day and just to see like my baby she just turned one and she started crying when he cried and then she came over to him and patted his back and just like put her head on his back I've never seen a baby do this it's amazing from such a young age how men and women both have different gifts they can give watching her how nurturing and loving just how natural that that was for them and I'm glad that your boys can have a mother figure to help them and and I think and they also need their dad to help them in other ways too and so it's it's amazing so that's you brought that up Liz that reminded me of just when I became the hybrid dad I could tell that my boys needed some nurturing and it was hard for I, I it was hard for me to provide that so that's what was really hard going through this is losing your spouse and trying to provide that extra nurturing that a mom can only do. I think for me, that was one thing that was hard is I can be a dad. I know how to do that. But when it came to like the nurturing part, it was hard. And I had to really <laughs> take a step back and really look at what my boys were asking for because I kept missing it. And they were given, I, th- I felt like they were giving me the signs but I wasn't picking up on them. And it, that was hard. <laughs> that was extremely hard. And I'm sure a lot of dads will have to do, but the nurturing, the shopping, the everything that the moms does is so incredibly hard that if 
when you when you haven't gone through it yourself, you'll you'll never know how hard it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're amazing for what you've been through, and and that you're able to use this experience to help more people. And if somebody would like to get a sunshine box, how do they? How would they do that? Uh, you can go to givingsunshine.com, and you can get on and you can order them. And then we're also on Facebook and Instagram at giving sunshine daily and you can follow our journeys and see our posting and just just an uplifting community to help people especially this time with so much going on we need positive and uplifting things awesome okay well i have one last question for you and that's if you could go back in time to any stage of life and give yourself advice where would you go and what would you say i would probably go back four years ago right before my wife was diagnosed with cancer And I would just say, you're going to go through a hard time, but you need to reach out and you need to connect with people and allow them to help you, including God in that in your trials to help you walk the path. And by doing so, you'll be in a happier and healthier place. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you today and hearing more about your story. You're an incredible person. Thank you, Liz, for having me.